So this talk is going to be centered around artificial intelligence, psychoactive research, and uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, or UFOs. So these are the focal points of the talk, because these are what I would consider to be emerging, potentially globally influential catalysts that could elicit a reshuffling in our social, political, philosophical and scientific behaviours and models. And I call these three emerging issues global disruptors because I believe that each of them holds within a capability to essentially accelerate the evolution of collective behaviours in modern human society, which can only be made possible through a disruption to what are now outdated modes of thinking. And so it's my belief that the co-present emergence and complementary nature of each of these disruptors could very well propel us into becoming the space voyaging species that in my opinion we are undoubtedly designed to become. Now this might seem like an unrealistic goal to many of us as it's become clear now more than ever really that we appear to be on the verge of destroying ourselves or our environment for various different reasons, specifically right now uh, heightened tensions of, uh, of conflict between superpowers, but it's precisely due to this looming shadow of danger approaching that in my mind permits for the emergence of these global disruptors at this particular point in the human story. And I don't imagine this to be coincidental, I would actually view it more as a consequence of a dynamic and accelerating evolutionary process within the human species, and this process of development requires the breaking of established behavioural patterns that have accumulated over time that are no longer beneficial, some of which are very deeply entrenched into our current status quo. And so I personally, I try to strike a good balance between being optimistic and, and being realistic about our situation, and I, I wouldn't consider myself to be someone who sees things in extremes. I'll try and seek a middle ground of observation more often than not. Nevertheless, it does seem to me that there are two extremes that feel more possible as each day passes. And so, in my mind, we could either be witnessing the steady movement towards the extinction of the human race in real time as a result of our actions on this planet so far, and uh, we just happen to be the poor souls who are damned to be gathered together at the culminating point of apocalyptic climax to the human story. Or we're witnessing what could be seen as a kind of flaming gauntlet through an evolutionarily turbulent but nevertheless naturally guided process of human development. And this is observed in real time by us as the breaking down of systems of power, the disruption of social norms, an increased polarization in political ideologies, uh, increased conflict probabilities between superpowers, disruptions to scientifically established models. You know, this process of systemic breakage is observed by us through these mediums uh, for two reasons. The first reason is that uh, epigenetic changes, which just means non-genetic changes, are the governing mediums of influence within modern human development, meaning our development uh, is primarily measured through social, political, technological, developmental mediums. These are the platforms upon which the human being develops within modern society, and 
these types of changes are occurring at a much faster rate than what is permitted through genomic change, changes in the genomes, which can require billions of years of evolutionary time to unfold. We have increased our rate of development through the transition from primarily genetic changes to epigenetic domains of progression and expression. And secondly, the reason why these platforms through which development occurs now appear to be, in many ways, collapsing under compounding pressure, uh, which is observed through the growing transparency of corruption within politics, within high finance and corporate power structures, uh, through the neglecting of adequate social stimulus from governments, through the superseding and challenging of entrenched models within modern science, the reason why we're seeing these fundamental sectors of our modern society being placed under immense pressure is because the developmental processes within human evolution that are occurring as we move closer to a new age are rendering the aforementioned sectors political, social, scientific insufficient, unfit for purpose, and so they now require the breaking of or the dissolution of what are now inadequate models for society. Because as we move into more exotic terrain, which is precisely what we're doing in many ways, we will require the development of more exotic models. And so the optimist within me is permitted to shine through despite the chaos being witnessed in the world. Um, in fact, it's not even despite the chaos, but precisely because of it that I feel room for optimism, because chaos is the precursor to order. That's just the way it is. It's the ebb and flow of uh, all-known existence within the dualistic physical plane. And so in my mind, the breakdown of civilization is the best evidence we have to validate the claim that we're undergoing a powerful transformative process. And this process cannot be complete without the dissolution and destruction of outdated, inadequate models of behavior and uh, influence within the collective species. I mean, the perfect example of this uh, that can be found within nature is the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly. In order for that transformation to take place, the now outdated and developmentally inadequate components of the caterpillar are completely destroyed. They are literally melted down to their most basic materials and from the chrysalis of that destruction arises an entirely new and uh, you know dazzling creature. And, and so we are in the chrysalis of the human condition. We are witnessing in real time the dissolution of inadequate patterns, of insufficient models, of incapable systems, we're bearing witness to the metamorphosis, and make no mistake, this will require a sufficient level of stress to be placed upon the current state of human affairs, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is precisely what we're seeing occur in pretty much every sector of society that's worth mentioning. We honestly are a fascinating species. We have completely transformed what it means for the nature of this planet to express itself. We've diverged from every other example of nature on this planet. We are the evolutionary outlier. And uh, this has been achieved through the development primarily, I, I imagine, of complex language, which permitted for a more dynamic and multifaceted and exponential rate of development to occur. The development of language was the initial spark, illuminating the road 
that led us from the life of the nomadic hunter-gatherer who transformed over a drastically short period of, uh, of evolutionary time into the type of technologically advanced civilization we bear witness to in the year 2021. You know, nothing else within the nature of this planet has done this, at least nothing that we currently recognize or understand, but it's clear that there is something profoundly different about the human being when you compare it to everything else that we know of that has arisen from nature, our rate of development is beyond incomprehensible when compared with the evolutionary developments that have taken place across the board. We've swapped billions of years of evolution for thousands of years, and, and now we're in an age where this rate of development is increasing day by day as we frantically innovate our way into some new domain of experience that we're stepping ever closer towards through the uh, propagation of technology. And so what truly separates us from the rest of observed nature is language, the ability to communicate complex messages, retain this information through the usage of symbols and the development of oral traditions, and to subsequently pass this knowledge on through generational time, from parent to child, from chieftain to tribe, and on and on it went. These messages, teachings, uh, insights, and innovations were sent into the future by the generation before them, where this knowledge was then maintained, further developed upon, and sent onwards again into the next generation. It's, it's through this act of passing down knowledge over hundreds and thousands of years that caused us to be what we are today, and we're the only known example within nature on planet Earth, uh, that we know of at least, that has achieved this level of complex uh, cognition, communication, and the preserving of information in various forms through generational time. And so now we're faced with a highly complex, uh, highly dynamic world that has within it an incredible number of moving parts that form the machine of modern human civilization, and I believe that what we're witnessing through the various breakdowns occurring in civilization is the sounding of alarms and the flashing of uh, signal lights informing us of a required replacement of what are now outdated or, or broken parts to the societal machine of the human species, and I don't think this is a breakdown of the entire engine, I think what we're witnessing is more like a flat tire or an, an overheated radiator, some rusted, inoperable machinery. It's something that's incredibly inconvenient but is not beyond repair or replacement, and uh, to stick with the vehicle analogy, we're only really a few miles from the nearest repair shop, and the methods through which we can fix uh, and replace our broken parts are, are not too far away, and are coming ever closer. And so this is where we actually introduce the first of these global disruptors. Many of us are deeply concerned with the possibilities that arise from the birth of artificial intelligence. Although I think we should probably clarify that concern because artificial intelligence already exists in, in a multitude of ways. It exists within smartphones and other smart tech. It exists within the financial sector, the intelligence gathering sector, uh, social media, and on and on. Artificial intelligence is already here and is already a supporting foundational structure of the current technologically orientated system we've established. But what people are truly concerned with, um, well, in fact, it's two things. The first being 
the fear of replacement within the workforce, the steady increase in automated processes uh, within labour-intensive jobs that are currently providing primarily the lower brackets of working society with steady employment, the factory workers, assembly lines, maintenance personnel, taxi drivers, you know, these are the people who will be most affected by uh, the increased automation of industry because they're already being replaced with machines and this will not decrease in frequency, it will exponentially grow in its influence through the course of this new decade until the majority of repetitive and, and labor-intensive tasks that are required for the streamlining of industry and the continuation of consumeristic systems will be managed entirely by machines of varying degrees of artificial intelligence. And this is, a, this is certainly a well-founded and, and realistic concern to have. I think the transition from a labor force uh, to an automated process will cause some pretty turbulent years within industry and society, especially for people who operate within this particular bracket on the employment hierarchy, until the system rearranges itself sufficiently enough to accommodate for this change, because the development of new areas of employment will occur, but it will take time for things to settle into a workable format before this becomes a fully realized transition from human to machine-based industries. But once we make this transition, um, we will likely be dealing with, obviously, a more automated society. But I think that one of the knock-on effects of an automated society would be that the cost of living is reduced in most sectors, and this could facilitate an economic boom that will stimulate global economies and provide people with more money and more free time to pursue their own goals, more opportunities for personal development. And this is what could occur. It's within the realms of possibility, but it will require more turbulent years for it to be fully realized, in my opinion. And it will rely upon a necessary shift in collective mindsets, most notably within systems of uh, leadership or governance, and that is highly unlikely to occur unless stimulated by other situations. And it's the stimulus discussion that I want to get into uh, more deeply when we move into the uh, other two out of my three global disruptors. Because what is important for me to highlight is that it's not one single change, such as the rise of artificial intelligence, that will lay the groundwork for increased freedoms, opportunities, uh, resources, and a transition in societal and systemic behaviours. In fact, artificial intelligence and technological development alone uh, worries me deeply. It's the emergence of multiple catalysts at the same time. The interweaving of these disruptors that allows space for a more optimistic development to occur, just because because the road of technological development above all else is a road lined with weapons pointed in each direction and, and so is ultimately a road towards destruction, in my opinion. And so I wanted to highlight this now so that you don't get the impression that I believe technology alone will solve all of our problems. But for now, we're discussing this first disruptor. And we've talked about the disturbance to industry and employability that this transition into automation will cause. But there is a second, more disturbing concern that arises from conversations about the development of more sophisticated expressions of AI, 
and uh, that's the fear of the rise of sentient artificial intelligence, the rise of a machine mind that is completely self-aware and is capable of its own paths of decision-making, um, for lack of a better description, is a conscious entity thinking for itself and acting on its own interests. This is the imagined precursor for the Terminator-style robotic apocalypse that you know many futurists predict. And uh, to be fair, it would seem that we are on the knife's edge period of the human story from which an intelligence such as this could emerge. And I think this is a fear that many of us have, that a day would come where such an intelligence would consider humans to be inadequate and unfit for purpose uh, in relation to the process of evolution into the stars. The flip side to this is the prediction of an inevitable merging between the human body and the artificial landscape, a biomechanical symbiosis between creator and created. And this to me, although perhaps not favourable to many, myself included to a certain degree, it is nevertheless already occurring, and if we're being honest with our situation, it's been occurring since the dawn of technology, from the moment we used our very first tools, from the day the first spear was sharpened, the first strike of flint to form flame, the first bow and arrow crafted, the moment we created the first tool, we began along the path of technological integration, creating extensions of our influence through technologies, and we've now arrived at a point in the human story where our technologies have resulted in the development of, uh, amongst other things, an electronic neurosphere of real-time global information exchange called the Internet, which we have instantaneous access to via small rectangles that fit into our pockets. And we're now beginning to transition towards wearable technology like smartwatches and uh, other such devices and and so you see we've been gradually merging with technologies through the entirety of human history but it's now it's in our time that this rate of convergence has increased exponentially the momentum is increasing year by year and so with the development of neurologically embedded artificially intelligent circuits such as those produced and studied by people like Elon Musk through his company Neuralink, we've taken another bold step towards the edge of the organic human existence, and we're now dipping our feet deeper into the digital ocean. And it seems to me that it's less about whether or not we will, but more of a question of when we will decide to dive into this new terrain and explore its potential. And... This, for all intents and purposes, is a very real transcendence of the human species, the dissolution of the organic human in favour of a, a biosynthetic avatar of some form, uh, could very well be the metamorphic event of an evolutionarily guided and uh, therefore inevitable future outcome that is now close upon the horizon and... Uh, Perhaps the monumentality of this transformative event in the uh, human story is the source of the intuitively received shockwaves that have echoed through time, sensed by our mystics and spiritual teachers, the crafters and, and keepers of our theologic traditions, when they speak of a coming apocalypse. Perhaps it's the apocalypse of the organic being and the birth of an entirely new representation of nature's ability to express itself through the human template and its development of and eventual convergence with 
technology, the emerging from the chrysalis of organic life into an entirely new terrain of experience like the caterpillar to the butterfly, transforming from a ground-based consumer to an airborne pollinator. This could very well be our destiny to go from a planetary-based consumer to a pollinator of the cosmos. It makes me think of that famous crop circle that uh, I believe it's yet to be debunked, but regardless of its provenance, it's still a striking image. And the photo was uh, it's taken from a helicopter, and it shows a human being at an extremely large scale. It takes up the entire field, and uh, protruding from behind the body are the wings of a butterfly. And it's a, it's a very provocative and, and highly symbolic example of what I'm referring to here with this possible metamorphic conclusion to our current mode of existence. And I know, it all sounds like the plot for a great film, but the truth of the matter is, with even a casual glance towards the ongoing rate of developmental change in the sectors that are geared towards producing technologies and, and most notably the focus on artificial intelligence, it seems to be an irrefutable trajectory towards which we are moving at faster and faster rates every day. And, and so the merging of humans with technology, with artificial intelligence, a, a biosynthetic convergence, would appear to be an inevitable checkpoint on the road. It may even be a necessary developmental prerequisite, um, a necessary transition that is required for us to adequately explore the stars. However, it is my opinion that we've demonstrated, and I'm sure you would all agree, time and time again that we're incapable of handling the technologies we have developed already in a responsible manner, and we're more inclined towards the development of advanced weapon systems than we are towards the development of exploratory vessels or advancements for the benefit of society as a whole on a global scale. I think this too only requires a casual glance for it to be observed and, and made evident we are an immature species with a reduced level of consciousness as to what was maintained and promoted by our most ancient and shamanic ancestors. We have severed our connection to spirit, to nature. These are unimportant things to our so-called leaders when compared to financial incentives and the accumulation of further states of power and influence. And so, yes, there are plenty of reasons to be pessimistic about technology, and there is a certainly reason to be skeptical of any sort of divine transcendence into a techno-spiritual utopia if we're simply going down the road of technological development above all else. But as I said before, the purpose of this talk is not to highlight one of these global disruptors above another, it's the very fact that these issues are emerging at the same time that provides the uh, potential for accelerating change towards a more optimistic direction. On their own, they don't necessarily serve the same purpose, but when combined together at the same time, they seem to make a, a, a potently transformative and complementary mix, especially if our intention is to become a species with advanced spaceflight capabilities. And so it's the marrying of these three distinct and disruptive challenges to the current state of normality that I believe have the potential uh, to bear the most fruit for our species going forward. 
There are going to be numerous micro-accelerants that emerge over this decade, but these three issues are ones that I believe hold a particularly strong influence potential for the collective species. And so now I would like to talk about the second out of my three global disruptors, and this is the re-emergence of scientific study and increased interest within society on a whole in regards to psychoactive substances and their benefits. I think it's important for me to state that I'm not a doctor, and I'm not prescribing nor advising anyone to take psychedelics. I'm simply making an observation of possible consequences that may arise from an introduction of psychedelics into the socially accepted pool of human utilities. And I also want to preface this discussion by addressing something that I've noticed to be brought up within most notably the more spiritually or metaphysically inclined sections of the UFO community when discussing the usage of psychedelics. And I want to address it because I, I do find it to be contradictory. And this is the condemning of psychedelics by people who consider meditation to be more beneficial. Um, now, the reason that it's usually given for the favoring of meditation over psychedelics is that meditation teaches you discipline and allows for a, a natural spiritual development to occur. Taking psychedelics is an artificial way of achieving this, and so you will likely not achieve the same levels of spiritual completion through the medium of psychoactive substances uh, than that you would through disciplined transcendental forms of uh, meditatively induced conscious expansion. I think it's important for me to say that I am a proponent and, and participator of meditative techniques, and so I recognize and appreciate the benefits of meditation. This is definitely not me trying to knock meditation. But there is a glaring contradiction here, because I think the majority of meditative advocates would agree that the internal and external worlds are ultimately nothing more than a dualistic illusion, uh, that all things are fundamentally one thing, uh, that we're simply the energy of existence expressing itself in various states. And so if you hold to that belief while simultaneously considering something within that field of oneness to be artificial, such as psychedelics, uh, even ones that arise from the natural planetary flora and through your own biochemistry, and to favor a different method as so-called natural, such as meditation, which, to be honest, appears to be a form of access to and influence of biochemical exchanges to induce altered states, it's evidence of someone who is still very much involved in a dualistic perspective because you consider there to be some sort of separation. So if you align yourself with the idea of a universal energy being at the root source of all creation, Within that field of creative energy, can we really determine something to be more natural than anything else? I feel this rings especially true for the most potent psychedelic compound to ever be discovered, dimethyltryptamine, uh, better known as DMT, which is not only present in much of the flora and fauna of planet Earth, including being endogenous to the brains of human beings, but even more revelatory uh, was a recent discovery put forward in a scientific paper published in 2019, uh, which I will include in the description box below for anyone interested, titled Biosynthesis and Extracellular Concentrations of Dimethyltryptamine in Mammalian Brains. Now, 
Prior to this study, it was believed that the uh, DMT quantities within the human biochemical framework were present only in trace amounts and was considered essentially inconsequential to the day-to-day -day operating of the brain-body interface. However, this recent study uh, shows that DMT has been found to be of similar concentrations within the brain's neural chemistry as serotonin, and without serotonin, you would die. It's a required hormone for the functioning of nerve cells. Uh, it's a key hormone that stabilizes our mood, uh, feelings of well-being and happiness. It enables uh, brain cells and other nervous system cells to communicate with each other, and it helps with sleeping, eating, and digestion. It impacts your entire body. So for us to discover that the most potent psychedelic compound in existence one that, when smoked or taken orally with a monoamine oxidase inhibitor to bypass the stomach acid barrier, can have the effect of ejecting you from your physical body and placing you into a hyperspatial, uh, dimensional realm where everything from the perception of time to the modalities of language are shifted into varying degrees of expression that don't exist or, or have at least not been successfully perturbed within our normal states of awareness. And within these realms exist what can only really be described as intelligent entities, many of them beyond any sort of uh, syntactical description that seem to be capable of bestowing knowledge, promoting a sense of self-realization, uh, the breaking of negative behavioral patterns in your life. Uh, some would even say the provision of spiritual insight into the nature of being. And all of this is made possible by a chemical that is not only endogenous to our neurological makeup, but has recently been discovered to potentially be present at similar levels to a fundamental bodily hormone, serotonin. Well, this means that DMT has been moved from the trace amount inconsequential to functions category to the fundamental building block of bodily function category. And this staggering realization is going to start opening some very interesting doors behind which exists some very interesting questions. One question being, if DMT is fundamental, like serotonin, for the mediating of our sense of reality, then is reality itself a partial hallucination? I mean, if all that is required is one small tweak in the concentrations of an endogenous biochemical within the human brain for the office walls around you to melt away as you're transported into a hyperdimensional realm uh, that many claim to feel more real than reality itself, a realm that is seemingly inhabited by exotic entities that, for lack of a better description, are extraterrestrial in nature, then how can we possibly begin to adequately define reality if we are only operating on the baseline perceptions that arise from our current resting state of consciousness when just around the corner, available to us through our own biochemistry, is a portal into transcendental realms inhabited by otherwise unseen entities. I mean, this is where science and spirituality collide in an epic fashion, and from this collision, we may see the glimpse of the introduction of what could be called spirit science, a scientific endeavor to comprehend the abstract realm of the transcendental that rational science is being faced with through the study of psychedelics. And to bring this back to my comments about um, 
psychedelics versus meditation, it would seem to me that the achieving of transcendental states of meditation through discipline and practice, uh, states that send the meditator into astral realms, uh, states that allow for the intuitive downloading of information from beyond their own influence, or that allow for communication with otherwise unseen intelligences, I mean, it would seem quite apparent to me that these states are being induced through a conscious, meditatively induced perturbing of the pineal gland, which is the gland in the brain responsible for the synthesis and secretion of dimethyltryptamine. I think that these transcendental meditative states are simply a method of hacking into your own brain chemistry and increasing your body's natural levels of DMT by a significant enough percentage to elicit a change in your state of uh, awareness. I mean, one of the one of the early onset experiences that people describe from DMT is that there is a, a feeling of vibration, of energy, almost as if someone has rung a cymbal and everything's reverberating and shaking. This is also a very similar uh, experience from people that go into transcendental meditative states. The, the, the onset experience is this feeling of energy rushing through you, of vibration, of, of oscillation. And so it really does seem as if they are hacking into and increasing the concentrations of DMT. And so for those of you who believe that psychedelics are the cheater's way to enlightenment, it would seem to me that those using ayahuasca and other forms of DMT are doing the same thing you're doing, only they are doing it faster, more efficiently, and through a more easily induced method, and the effect is the same, which is an increase in DMT within the body and the subsequent experiences that one can undergo through such an increase. And so whether you like to sit quietly and perturb the pineal gland through meditation, or whether you like to take a so-called externally sourced form of DMT into your system, it really doesn't seem to make a difference other than the fact that one of these methods is easier to perform than the other. So if you want to see a rapid global overhaul in our species' collective behaviours through an increased understanding of and uh, appreciation for the spirit of life, of nature, uh, the nature of our own existence, this is not a collective overhaul that's going to take place through everyday people suddenly taking an interest in transcendental meditation. I mean, I just don't personally see how this would occur in the Western mind absent a significant catalyst, some form of accelerant that would lead us towards the incorporation of something like meditation into our lives. Uh, taking an interest in meditation will likely follow from the initial catalysts that accelerate collective behavioral change. It will not be the cause of it. It will likely be a symptom that arises from the change. But the changes required are required at a faster rate than what meditation can provide us because truly transcendentally transformative experiences within meditation are not usually made available to the untrained initiate. And although the disciplinary journey into the mastery of meditation is an admirable feat, it's not a feat that we can expect large percentages of modern society to embrace out of nowhere. And so if we want to get to a place where each and every one of us is appreciating and perhaps involving themselves in a daily routine of 
deep meditation if you believe that the insights obtained through such a practice would be beneficial to the collective species, and I would be in full agreement with all of that. Uh, but if we want to get there, we're going to require an initial boost to our consciousness in order for us to wake up to that reality in a clearer vision and with stronger intention. If you view the collective species as a single human being, this is an incredibly uh, disturbed individual that we're faced with, and perhaps what the person really needs is some very strong medicine to wake them up to their negative behavioral patterns. And I think if we want to see large percentages of the population embrace meditation and other such practices, we're going to need some very strong medicine first in order to be in a position to wake up out of our delusions. And so what is required, really, is for more people to undergo a personal, experiential, and ultimately transformative journey. And this needs to be a journey that can be made available uh, with relative ease, one that does not require strenuous discipline. Uh, it does not require them to sit still for hours in an attempt to resist the chattering monkey mind, or for them to suspend their rational disbelief uh, regarding the benefits that might arise from methods and traditions of any sort of faith-based system. What we need is a more democratic, neutral, freely available stimulus, and this is why I see this current resurgence of interest in the study of psychoactive substances to be extremely interesting and entirely non-coincidental when juxtaposed with the current state of affairs in the modern world, we're witnessing a changing of the guard, and one of those changes is the acceptance of psychedelic compounds within society that have been condemned and ridiculed unnecessarily for decades, not too dissimilar from the ridicule and stigmatization that is present when discussing the UFO issue, and I find it interesting that the stigma behind both of these subjects is beginning to dissipate at the same time within modern society. The Western world does not by and large entertain or at least take serious the notion of mysticism or meditation or uh, or of the beneficial usage of psychoactive substances, although this is gradually shifting with the younger generations who are uh, of a more open mind and of a less monotheistically reinforced and, and restrictive set of ideologies. However, the most notable change of late is the fact that these ideas are beginning to be entertained through the Western mind's most cherished arena, which is the arena of science, the benefits of psychoactive research and the usage of psychoactive compounds for mitigating mental health issues, as well as for the purpose of probing the general mystery of consciousness itself, are now being scrutinized and realized by respected establishments of Western medicinal science, of neurology and pharmacology and psychology. And so you see, the resurgence of psychedelic study in the Western arena of science is essentially the Western method for reviving a more spiritual component to our methods of approach. And, uh, and our models of reality, and uh, we should understand the process of our world by now. It's a process that incorporates technology, science, rationalism, materialism, and uh, industry. And so the free-flowing spirit of nature is coming into this highly rigid system in the only way that it can, through the guise of science. And it's the most fantastic Trojan horse situation because 
it is through the increased study of psychedelics that the Western world will finally receive a large dose, uh, pun intended, of the immaterial, of the abstract, of the spiritual, of the transcendental, and, and this in of itself will stimulate, by cause of necessity, a reshuffling of models within modern science and medicine, and this will have the trickle-down effect of stimulating corporate involvement, which in turn transitions into market value and consumerism. I mean, cannabis is a good example of this. Once cannabis entered back into the scene and was embraced by modern science, we've witnessed uh, the pharma-corporate sector do what it does best and capitalize on this, which has produced, at least in uh, large portions of America and, and all of Canada, a drastic change of perspective in relation to uh, cannabis from a political, medicinal, and social perspective. It's yet to impact the entire Western world. In my own home country, the officers of the law can still break down your door for possessing or cultivating cannabis, which is disgracefully ironic and hypocritical since the UK is actually a leading exporter in medicinal cannabis. It would seem the hypocrisy of our system of governance truly knows no bounds. However, we will likely transition into a legal status over the next couple of years. And so you see how this trickle-down influence of scientific revelation that leads to pharmacological interest, which transitions into corporate development, leading to an established market value, and the creation of consumer items takes effect. And so one of the next in line, in my opinion, will be psychedelics like DMT and psilocybin. And, and once they're embraced fully by modern science and medicines, the same effect will occur. The corporate pharmaceutical arenas will jump in and uh, and capitalize on this, and you will see the development of of uh, neural enhancers, of cognition boosters, and other forms of pharmacologically developed psychoactive medicines and supplements. And so, from this, you will see the same trickle-down process which will result in society embracing psychedelics once again after a generational drought that was stimulated by uh, essentially the proliferation of unnecessary and unscientific propaganda and a fear from government control structures that they might lose their influence as everyone begins to realize that uh, perhaps warmongering territorial control freaks might not be the best choice of leadership going forward. And so just like the emergence of um, serious conversations about UFOs, society will need to acclimate to a transition from social rejection to social acceptance when it comes to psychedelics. But as we can see, the trend now is the embracing of these compounds under the lens of scientific scrutiny. It's only a matter of time before this transitions into industry and society at large, and with this transition, one of the causal effects that will arise from this will be a more empathically developed society that explores and advances its state of consciousness, and a consequence of this, uh, as many who have used psychedelics can attest to, is that you care more about life, about love, about community, about peaceful solutions, these are the side effects of a culture that embraces the perturbing of the mind through the use of psychedelics. I also find it interesting that this disruptive series of breakthroughs that are taking place within the arena of uh, medicinal, pharmacological, uh, neurological sciences 
which above all else are challenging our current models for consciousness, are emerging at a time when disruptive issues are challenging the status quo within modern science as it relates to advanced physics, energy generation, and material engineering, and this disruption has been stimulated by the emergence of the UFO phenomenon from the cast-aside underground culture of ufology to the stage of modern political and social discourse in the United States of America with the US government itself proclaiming that it cannot explain some of the recent incidents that have occurred between US Navy personnel and UFOs, or what are now being referred to as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, as a means of uh, distancing the United States government from the controversial history of UFOs and and their involvement in the issue over the course of several decades. I don't see this as a coincidence. The emergence of these two issues, the psychedelics and the UFOs, these would appear to be, uh, in my mind, perfect potential catalysts for a fast-acting overhaul in collective behavior. On one side, you have substances that, that not only allow for the development of a more empathic and connected society, but on significant enough doses can transport you to other dimensional realms inhabited by what can only really be considered as intelligent extraterrestrial entities who can offer you spiritual or morally orientated revelations for the purpose of personal self-development, um, and in doing so, defy all previous expectations of what can occur through the altering of biochemical and uh, neurological states, um, which seem to permit for an expansion of the conscious mind in a way not too dissimilar from the dual functionality of a photon, as it expands from a localized particle with a coordinated location in time and space to a non-local wave of potential energy. So a human mind can expand beyond the localized restrictions of the body and move into a non-local wave function state of awareness. And on the other side of this, you have hyper-advanced technologies that break apart the foundations of our laws of physics, of aerodynamics, of gravity, uh, the UFO. And since it would appear to be a feat we are incapable of, it creates the necessary space for us to incorporate the existence of another intelligence, of an alien intelligence, perhaps even a multidimensional intelligence. And within this subject of UFOs, there is an unavoidable bleed-over effect from the material to the immaterial, from the physical object to the psychic construct, from the generic to the psychedelic. There are many similarities between the psychedelic conversation and the UFO conversation, and the keystone that seems to exist within the nexus of these two issues is consciousness. Navigating this area of consciousness is a talent long forgotten by the majority of the Western world, which is why I say that I have my doubts about people suddenly finding an interest in meditation without there being some form of easily accessible catalyst that would enable interest in such things. And the most easily accessible catalyst, which has a pretty decent track record for getting people out of negative behavioral cycles and uh, transitioning them into lifestyles that incorporate such things as meditation or healthy eating and exercise or a reverence of the natural world, uh, mindfulness, empathic tendencies, are psychedelic experiences, because within the psychedelic experience lies the opportunity for an extremely vivid 
and impactful personal journey. It's called an experience for a reason. You can, you truly can voyage into mystical realms beyond your wildest imaginings. Uh, Terence McKenna once said that the biggest risk with taking something like DMT is death by astonishment. And as we all know, it's the experiences we have and how we respond to them that define us from moment to moment. And so when you have a powerful psychedelic experience, um, it's something that stays with you uh, forever. And this is why the resurgence of scientific medical study into psychoactive substances is having such a drastic impact on the mental health sector, especially in relation to depression and uh, addiction. These are powerful agents of change that... Uh, can permit for a total reshuffling of your behavioral patterns and issues such as depression and addiction have their symptomatic foundations in hard-to-break behavioral patterns, in repeated neurological pathways, and the psychedelic experience holds within it, uh, which is being observed now by modern medicine, which is why they're taking an interest, it holds within it the potential to disrupt these damaging behavioral patterns. Uh, it can be a very intense wake-up call for an individual and uh, impact their future personal choices. And so this, to me, is a potential global disruptor, an agent of change, an evolutionary accelerant. And I'm not saying that this is for everyone. I'm not saying that we all need to be taking psychedelics. I, yes, I have had some experiences, but this isn't something I seek often whatsoever. Um, what I've experienced so far was enough for me to understand that a discussion needs to be had about their potential. Uh, nevertheless, I'm not recommending them for everyone, but it needs to be available as an option. Uh, there needs to be sufficient education, non-biased, scientifically-based education on naturally occurring psychoactive substances. And through this perfectly rational method of approach, you will not see a mad rush from every citizen to suddenly go get loaded on psychedelics, but you will see an increase in safe, responsible usage. You will see the stigma behind them dissipate. Uh, this will transition into them being used more often by individuals who would never have done so before, conservatively-minded individuals who only knew of the propaganda from the war on drugs may suddenly decide to give them a try, and I think over the course of a few years it will cause a significant uptick in social empathy, in community values, in our sense of connectivity to each other and our natural environment, a predisposition towards uh, peaceful resolution over aggressive dominance, it will likely lead uh, through a new generation of educators to the introduction of mindfulness and, and meditation techniques in the early to higher educational system. I mean, this would be the trend, and we, we know this for a fact because we have a large-scale social experiment from which we can refer to and examine the results of, and, and this is the psychedelic revolution of the 1960s. Many of the changes I listed above did occur during this period, but it was quickly stamped out because the introduction of these substances was a governmentally unaccepted culture shock. And so the US government did what it did best, in uh, situations where its own perception of what is acceptable is challenged, they waged a war on drugs, and in doing so, uh, the flame of the psychedelic revolution was prematurely snuffed out by the barking of dogs and the blaring of sirens and the beating of sledgehammers on doors and, and the mass incarceration of users and, and 
providers of what were suddenly considered to be illegal, deadly, demonic substances, and no doubt some of these arresting officers and fear-peddling bureaucrats would sink a couple of drinks at the local bar after a long day's work arresting or condemning people for entering into states of consciousness that are now considered illegal. I mean, your own state of consciousness being made illegal, it's a a mind-blowing thing that that's something that we've permitted. But now we have to adapt it to a modern lens, um, because we're no longer in the 1960s with the rock and roll hippie revolution. We're in 2021 with a complex, highly technological society that places its trust in the sanctity of science. And so, instead of everyone selling watermelons and LSD on the sides of the road, what we'll see is the first example within modern society of a large-scale integration of psychoactive medicines into pharmaceutical industries, into the development of various uh, cognitive accelerants, and, and one of the potential side effects written on the box will be, warning, may cause a complete and total overhaul in your sense of self due to profound mystical experiences. Other side effects may include an increased sense of oneness and a desire to better yourself and assist in the betterment of others. And so, My point here is that unlike the unexpected psychedelic culture shock of the 1960s, this time it is entirely expected. This time it's being viewed as a, well, it's about damn time type of situation. And and that's a sentiment that's being echoed through the halls of modern medicine by professionals in their fields who have known for years uh, that these compounds hold profound and, and vital answers for... Uh, not only mental health, but for the more general scientific endeavour of understanding the mysteries of the mind, the mysteries of consciousness. And so this time, what we're witnessing is a gradual integration approach based on the realisation that our previous understandings were governed by scientifically inadequate propaganda. And so you see, a war cannot be waged by the government this time, because some of the very institutions that uphold the current system are now embracing this revival of interest in psychoactive research, and it's being financially supported by corporate giants within the private sector, and at the end of the day, money talks for these people, and if money is to be made, then money will be made. And so it seems to me that our psychedelic revolution will be a more complete one, a more easily integrated, more widely accepted and more subtle disruptor of the social fabric, but a disruptor nonetheless because it will build over a relatively short period of time and the effect of this gradual integration will be an uptick in empathy and social connectivity. And so when you combine the resurgence of psychedelics and the potential effects this could produce with the development of more advanced technologies, It is this partnership that I believe holds enough potential force within its relationship to stimulate the beginnings of what could be seen as a techno-spiritual revolution, the rise of the psychedelics coinciding with the propagation of technological advancements could be the necessary steering mechanism required to bring our trajectory away from nuclear holocaust and towards a fairer society that utilizes technology in a way that facilitates or complements a more spiritually minded journey of discovery and uh, development within the species. Now the third global disruptor that's emerged in, in recent years will, in my opinion, 
further this complementary relationship between the realm of the physical and the realm of the transcendental uh, that will be achieved through a techno-psychedelic or techno-shamanic convergence because this particular subject incorporates within it examples of this very convergence and this is now more present than ever uh, the issue of UFOs and I've saved this particular topic for last for a reason because the UFO issue has within it examples of exquisite technology and advanced physics whilst also allowing space for what can easily be seen as examples of emerging between technology and consciousness of the physical and the metaphysical the ufo issue seems to me to almost be an example of what can be achieved through the convergence of technology and philosophy of science and spirituality it's almost as if the ufo issue is telling us look see this is what happens when you put things into balance this is what happens when you embrace an equilibrium between your fundamental nature as a spiritual being and an understanding of how this is expressed through your human nature as creators, as engineers, as dreamers, as, as innovators, a merging of these two aspects of your being will result in what you see before you. It will result in a society that is not only capable of advanced spaceflight, but will carry with them into the stars a fundamental reverence for the nature of the spirit in the universe. The UFO issue provides a series of challenges to modern human society. On the material side of the discussion, it's quite simple. What we're faced with is a form of technology that defies all expectations of what can exist in reality, and it places our scientists under immense pressure, as the very existence of these craft is a challenge to our models for physics, for propulsion, for thermodynamics and energy exchange, for gravity. It's simply telling us that there is a secret science that we have yet to discover. It's being plainly demonstrated and thus forces us to re-examine uh, our assertions as to what can be achieved. And so the very existence of the UFO is a catalyst for further developments in advanced physics, in, in propulsion, in material engineering. And so the emergence of this discussion within the halls of government, within the mainstream media, this is a signifier that a shift is on the horizon, and it will be a shift towards trying to understand this phenomenon and trying to exploit it for our own developmental purposes. Not to mention the fact that since these are unknown craft, displaying capabilities that we seem to be far from achieving ourselves, although I certainly have my suspicions about the world of black budget programs and, and private defense contractors and the retrieval of uh, non-human materials and, and technologies. But since these are unknowns, uh, then this also opens up the discussion of extraterrestrials, of life in the universe, of our place in the cosmos, and, and the stimulation of conversation around the possibility of meeting another form of intelligent life in the universe. And so from these points alone, the UFO issue being discussed now in a modern context holds a significant amount of potential kinetic energy for the increase of momentum towards higher states of technological development and, uh, and a general increase in our understanding of our place in the universe. But within this subject, there exists another discussion 
on the flip side of the material science, exotic technology discussion, there exists a whole other world of what are, for the most part, uh, untapped experiences that people have had with what they would consider to be a non-human intelligence. I think it would be uh, disingenuous of me if I failed to mention my own experiences with the UFO phenomenon that interpenetrate with the expanding of uh, states of consciousness, because it is the very fact that I did indeed have multiple occasions of what can only really be described as successful instances of contact between myself and something that was not human. And this took the form of orange orbs of light. And no, these were not Chinese lanterns or meteorites or any other generic occurrence that I failed to adequately identify. What I saw, I saw on four separate occasions over the space of about one month in the summer of 2019. After a few months of going out into my back garden, doing some basic breathing exercises, uh, getting myself into a calm state of mind, and from this point of stillness, beginning to intently focus on my desire for contact, modeling this through both my thoughts and my feelings, and subsequently imagining that my desires were resonating from me like ripples on water out into the wider spatial domain, propagating out into the universal network, I would sometimes imagine the universe as a web of strings, and I would send my intentions reverberating through these strings, and for whatever reason, these methods began to yield extremely interesting results in my night sky. It started with a sudden uptick in what appeared to be satellites. As someone who frequently enjoys watching the night sky, I was taken aback by the volume. I was seeing upwards of 10 to 15 of these white orbs traversing my skyline within the space of sometimes less than five minutes which struck me as interesting because I'd never witnessed such a frequency, and over the course of a few months, this display would progress. And so it went from white orbs traversing to white orbs traversing and suddenly glowing extremely bright, and then releasing a, a bright flash at the apex of its, uh, of its luminosity, now, I'm aware of the existence of what are known as iridium satellites, which, when traversing in a particular position adjacent to the sun, can catch the light and, and produce a dazzling flash, which is observable from Earth. However, astronomy and, uh, and satellite enthusiasts alike will take great care to plan when they make their observations because these IR flares occur at very specific times, and usually need to be tracked beforehand to be witnessed, absent a coincidental glance at it occurring in the night sky. And what I was witnessing was multiple white orbs of light traversing my sky within the space of a few minutes from between each other, producing this glow-to-flash effect, uh, and each of them would do this multiple times as it traversed my skyline. And many times, this light display seemed to occur in direct correlation with the thoughts I was imagining myself to be sending in their direction. I would 
also see static flashes of light occur. So there would be a blank area of space within which a bright white flash of light would occur. I'd focus my attention on that space, project some form of greeting, and lo and behold, another flash in the exact same spot would happen. And, uh, and this would happen several times over and over again with no movement in the position of the light whatsoever and no discernible structure visible, just a repeating flash of light in a void of dark space. This is known within the UFO contact community as uh, flash bulbs, which seems an apt description to me. So this is the kind of thing I was witnessing in my back garden over the course of a few months. But it was it was in August of 2019 that I had my first experience with the orange orbs of light. And uh, it was this experience and, and the ones that followed that not only put me on a more resolute path towards attempting to understand the phenomenon, but these situations provided uh, irrefutable evidence, albeit subjective personal evidence, that the human mind can influence into existence an external experience. This was made particularly clear to me when I had my first experience with the orange orbs of light. It was late August in 2019. Uh, I was outside in my garden in the evening. It was a clear, crystal, starlit sky, and it was a warm evening. And I was doing what had become my normal routine at this point, which was to uh, get into this calm state of mind through being aware of my breathing, and from this point begin to model coherent thoughts, clear intentions on the goal of making contact with something else. Now, something I have considered after the fact, which I'm yet to put into practice, is the idea that perhaps I received a UFO experience because I was expecting something from space. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm yet to set my intentions towards the spirits of the forest and, and see what arrives there, but who knows, at this point nothing would really surprise me. So uh, to get back to the story, I was outside projecting my intentions out, uh, visualizing a, a light bursting from my position and, and out into space, like a, a kind of cosmic spotlight. Most importantly in my mind was that I was imbuing this visual light with feelings of love. Um, I was essentially attempting to send a loving greeting out into the universe, and I was visually, and I was visualizing this whilst having my intentions set towards this, whilst coherently thinking thoughts aligned with this goal. And so perhaps my mind, body, and spirit were just attuned to the correct frequency of desire, because what occurred uh, this night changed my life forever. So it started with a, a bright white flash of light. I saw it in the corner of my eye and fixed my attention on that area of space. Then I saw another flash from the same spot. This was one of those flash bulbs I was talking about before, where there's no discernible object present, only the occasional flash from a void in space. But this time it was not happening occasionally, it was occurring pretty much every two seconds and uh, in the exact same spot, but it, it wasn't a plane, because whatever it was was completely stationary in the sky, and it remained that way for, for quite a while. Then suddenly, the next time this white light flashed, it was slightly further down than it was before, and the next sequential flash was further down still, 
each time it edged slightly further down in the sky until, from my perspective, it settled above two other stars, creating the apex of a triangle, and it reminded and it remained here, uh, flashing on and off every couple of seconds. So this light continued to flash, and it was uh, it was actually going on for enough time for me to almost lose interest and, and begin to look around the sky for anything else that might be occurring. This flashing light was on the right-hand side of the sky. I was at the back of my garden looking towards my house. And so as I took my eyes away from this flashing light up on the right-hand side, I saw what appeared to be a dark cloud moving slowly from the left-hand side of the sky across to the right. I didn't notice anything straight away. I, I saw the cloud as I was glancing over to the left-hand side, but I, I kind of did a double take. I, I looked all the way across the sky and then snapped my head back to look at this cloud. I looked back at it and suddenly got this very strange feeling because what I was looking at resembled a cloud at first glance, but on closer inspection, it had this incredibly strange visual effect occurring all over it. The only thing I can really compare it to was TV TV static. It, it wasn't as intense, but it was clearly visible. There was an energetic type of disruption, like all the particles surrounding the cloud were agitated or energized. And so it had this hazy, staticky overlay of extremely fast-moving particles, which resembled this this light static effect. So I suddenly found myself completely transfixed by this cloud that wasn't a cloud, or certainly not a cloud I'd ever witnessed before. It was drifting from the left-hand side of my sky over to the right, and it was moving across in a trajectory where in a few seconds it was going to go right past my, uh, my house, which I was looking towards as I stood at the back of my garden, looking up at the sky, at this uh, bizarre static overlaid cloud. And as I watched it drift across and eventually fall in alignment with my house, the cloud did an extremely abrupt right angle turn towards my direction. And I don't mind telling you, my heart skipped a beat and my stomach dropped. This was not a gentle turning of the breeze, this was a disturbingly abrupt, complete diversion of this cloud's direction, and in a few seconds it was going to be directly above my head, up in the sky, but nevertheless it was going to be directly above me, because it was now travelling in complete alignment with my position. All I could do uh, was stare at this cloud with a strange static charge appearance to it, it arrived at a point where it was directly above my head, and I craned my neck up, and the most impossible thing occurred. This cloud dissipated, almost as if it got sucked into itself. It just suddenly fizzled out of existence in, in less than a second, and it revealed something. Now, the only thing I can hypothesize this cloud to have been, after giving it some thought, was that it might be some sort of generated cloaking device, something used to obscure what was inside, because what I saw when this cloud suddenly vanished was a triangle formation of roughly 25, maybe 30 
orange orbs of light, a, a perfect formation. It, it didn't loiter in the sky. The cloud was moving as it dissipated. It just happened to do so right above my head. And so this triangle formation was moving. I had to turn around and, and watch it fly off into the distance until I couldn't see it anymore. This entire time, uh, there was absolutely nothing going on in my mind. I don't remember thinking anything. I was a rabbit in headlights, completely stunned, absolutely hypnotized by what I was seeing. And something I noticed as I stared at this formation of orbs was that some of them were weaving in between each other, swapping their places in the formation. And so I don't think what I witnessed was a large triangular craft. I think it was literally a squadron of orbs of light. I mean, the reason why I think this was because I have had uh, subsequent closer experiences later this very month. Nevertheless, this initial experience left an impact on me that to this day I am yet to fully comprehend or integrate into my life. It has left me forever changed because I was permitted a glance through the window of the transcendental. I was shown magic and I had it demonstrated to me. The realization that I myself am capable of a form of magic because I asked for something to occur and it occurred. And so this catalyzed my desire to show others that this was possible, that they themselves could initiate an experience that would permit them to have exposure to a different realm, something that would rekindle that sense of wonder we too often lose as we transition from children to adults. I was so excited to be provided the evidence I needed in order for me to pursue this journey and, and this is ultimately how and why Project Unity was created, so I could tell people that they are far more powerful than they realize, and that the world is far more magical uh, than we give it credit for, a far more magical place than any school has ever taught me. Um, this was a personal revelation, and uh, and I wanted to share it. I ended up having four contact scenarios with Orange Orbs over the course of roughly uh, one month, before I move into the other ones, it's probably important for me to uh, highlight this, although I don't necessarily know that it's connected. Um, it does seem to be something that's worth mentioning. The morning after I saw this triangle formation, I was coming out of the shower and uh, I got my towel and, and went to dry myself off. And the moment I looked down, I noticed that on my left forearm, there were three very vivid red circles, uh, marks, and it alarmed me because they were prominent. They were very prominent. Uh, I've got images that you're now seeing on screen if you're watching this on uh, on YouTube, and um, they were like cigarette burns. They were like someone had stubbed out a cigarette, but the, the strange thing about them, other than the fact that they just appeared out of nowhere, was that there was no bump or scab or itching or... Uh, any, any sort of skin trauma symptom whatsoever, they actually look like scarred over skin. From the very first day I got them, they looked like scarred over skin, and there was never any sort of healing process involved with them. They just, they just looked that way from day one and never changed. They have faded. They're still visible very slightly, but they've faded over time. This was in 2019, so it's been, uh, you know, a couple years now. Um, but they were prominent on my arm for
for well over a year. And uh, the images that you're seeing were taken uh, around the, the time that I got them, maybe the first day. I can't remember when I took those photos. Um, but it, it, they had there was no symptoms. There was no skin trauma symptoms, but they were very prominent. And um, so I don't think they were bites. Um, and I don't know what to make of that. I really don't. It's one of the things that's made me very cautious uh, when thinking about going back to doing this type of stuff was it's it's put that thought into my mind of was this connected and if it is connected what does it mean was i you know somehow taken was i abducted and my memory's been wiped i have no idea because i don't remember anything uh, happening in that sense it was it was late at night that this occurred it happened i saw this uh, i'm talking about the triangle experience so you know i saw this i saw this triangle of orbs i phoned my mum. That was the first person I phoned. Um, she was at a restaurant eating and I remember phoning her up and probably freaking her out because I sounded insane. Um, but after that, i pretty sure I went into my house and went to bed. I honestly can't remember. Um, but I woke up the next day and I had these marks on my arm. So I don't know what to make of that. I really don't. I, you know, people have told me to do regression. I've considered it, but part of me is feeling like I may not want to know uh, the answers and I don't want you to take anything negative away from that because I, we don't we don't know if it's negative or not we don't necessarily know but it is a very strange thing that occurred uh, and uh, it occurred directly the morning after the experience it might have it might have occurred the night of the experience but all I know is I woke up the next day got into the shower got out of the shower and uh, that's when I noticed it so it might have happened the moment I saw the triangle I don't know but I ended up having four contact scenarios with orange orbs over the course of roughly one month. The second and fourth sightings were extremely similar to one another, and the uh, third sighting was truly unique, and uh, so I'll save that one for last. The second time I saw these orbs was once again in my back garden at night uh, from the left-hand side of my sky, which funnily enough was uh, the case with all four experiences each time they came from the left-hand side of my sky. And um, so this time I suddenly saw a formation of orange orbs. This time there was no cloud. They're, they were in a formation which essentially looked like a, a W with an extra V attached and uh, it just simply came traversing across a clear starlit sky from left uh, from the left hand side of my uh, of my visible skyline to the right hand side and uh, it must have taken about four seconds maybe slightly more to go from one side of my line of sight to the other i was just blown away that i was i was seeing the exact same types of objects Remember that before this, all I was getting was white orbs that kind of looked like satellites but weren't really behaving in the same way, to suddenly having a triangle formation of orbs come out of a cloud, and and now I'm seeing them fly by again in a strange formation. The, the fourth experience was very similar. Once again, it was in my back garden from the left-hand side of the sky, a V formation with about five or six orbs trailing behind it, came flying by uh, at around the same speed and, and pretty much in the same location as the other formation, and within about four seconds it was gone. Now, I want to quickly address something because people always ask, well, why the hell weren't you filming? Well, the first reason was that I only have a smartphone and it doesn't have very good low-light recording capabilities. Uh, usually you can only just see the brightest stars, and so a lot of these things wouldn't even turn up on, on my camera. But not only that, 
you have your phone in your pocket hoping to catch something um, if it appears with enough time for you to do so. But these things tended to come out suddenly and you simply just didn't have time to reach into your pocket, open your phone, unlock your screen, open the camera app, aim it up, uh, find the target and record. You know, by the time you're halfway through that process, it would have been gone. That's one of the problems with this. You know, I'm out there and I've been out there in my garden and I've been holding my phone up to the sky, um, hoping to get something on when I'm recording. And, uh, you know, you don't get anything. And eventually you just kind of get tired of holding your phone up and you feel like you're focusing more on the phone than you are on trying to make contact and more on worrying about getting evidence than actually, you know, initiating the experience. And so you're already taking yourself out of that conscious intention, which I think is a necessary component to successful contact. And so the moment you put the phone down and you're only focusing on what you're trying to achieve, well, then it happens, folks. And it's really quite frustrating. It's a frustrating thing, but that's when it happens. And you don't have time to grab your phone. You just have time to stare at it and take it in and and just just kind of absorb what it is. You can't tear your eyes away from these things. People that haven't experienced it just don't understand. You can't tear your eyes away from these things. And you just stop thinking about anything else. You just stare. And so all my brain could order me to do was stare at them in amazement each time they came by. And so these two occasions with the V and, and W formations were the second and fourth times, the fourth being the last time. I witnessed these orbs. But the third time is probably the most important, or at least just as important as the initial experience with the cloud effect and the, and the large triangle formation. Outside in my garden at night, staring up at the sky, uh, doing my usual routine, I may have I may have seen I may have seen some initial uh, white orbs that caught my attention, but I, I honestly can't remember because the main event takes precedence in my mind and my memory. Uh, once again, from the left, in my peripheral vision, I saw three orange blobs that I, I, I initially thought they were meteorites until my eyes locked onto them. And I saw that, once again, it was these orange orbs. Three of them flying in a loose triangular formation. And then they stopped on a dime above my location and began to descend from the sky. They were bobbing and weaving in between each other, almost like fireflies. To my astonishment, they kept climbing down until they were no more than a few feet above the roof of my house, uh, at which point they stopped instantly. They went from weaving around each other uh, to being frozen in place above my house. They were roughly the size of basketballs. They were a slightly opaque pastel orange color. They appeared to be slightly translucent. They didn't even appear to be three-dimensional spheres. They almost looked uh, like 2D cutouts. The best comparison I've found uh, for what these orbs look like is a camera effect called bokeh, uh, spelt B-O-K-E-H, where you outfocus a camera lens at night around bright lights and the lights become two-dimensional circles of various colors. They looked a little bit like that, but they were very clearly visible. And so these orbs stayed frozen in place for no more than 
three, maybe four seconds before they suddenly started to rise up and they restarted this bobbing and, and weaving behavior, uh, kind of flitting in between each other. Very smoothly, though, just very smoothly, kind of floating around and up and down and between each other. Um, before they rose up from my roof and traveled over to the right-hand side until they were now hovering above uh, my next-door neighbor's garden. Uh, then they froze again, and I have to admit, I wish I could have been some clear-minded, pure-hearted ambassador for the species and welcomed them, but all I could do throughout this entire situation was just stare at them with a dumbstruck face. Once again, the orbs began their routine of bobbing and, and weaving around each other, and they began to climb up and up and up until eventually I could no longer see them. So I've not seen them since, but that is for the most part due to uh, me distancing myself from making these types of contacts as frequently as I was before. Unfortunately, my, my pure intentions... Um, became infected with anxiety about what it was that I was doing and um, I became a little frightened in all honesty you know I, th I think people that spend enough time embedded within the UFO community you start hearing more uh, you know horror stories and and, and, and scary stories and, and things that you wouldn't want to experience I do think that a very interesting pattern um, that I've noticed is that the abduction phenomena seems to be very different to the contact phenomenon because uh, there I haven't actually been able to find any testimonies of a negative non-human experience from initiating contact, from actually being out there and uh, willing to do it and participating and, and asking for something. I haven't been able to find any um, testimonies regarding that and... Uh, it would appear to me that that's quite a different thing to the abduction phenomenon. So, you know, there's a part of me that's quite optimistic that when you're actually grounding your state, when you're actually grounding yourself in a in a state of of love and unity and peace and connectivity, and and you're projecting that positive uh, vibe, then you actually attract these more benevolent entities. I don't know for a fact. You know, I don't. I don't know for a fact. I have marks on my body uh, that have made me in all honesty, a little concerned, even though I don't, I'm not willing to uh, fully believe that it was caused by that experience the night before, but it's a strange thing to occur. And so, you know, there are, there are parts of it that do concern me. And so I think that over time, as I've learned more, or at least as I've absorbed more, and as I've gained connections and, and been told things, and as this whole thing's progressed, it's made me a little bit more cautious, um, about what I was doing, you know, and it's frustrating to me because at least to my knowledge, there were no negative events that took place during these interactions. And in fact, these interactions actually served as evidence to me that my thoughts surrounding consciousness were close to being on the mark. They provided for me direct evidence through experience that consciousness is non-local, meaning it can interact exchange and receive information outside of the restrictions of the physical body, and that there are indeed currently unknown intelligences that can and will respond to you if you're in the appropriate state of mind. And this was an incredible revelation for me. It opened my mind up to some radical ideas, and yet I found myself 
ever more cautious with my approach towards contact. Uh, no doubt if I was to continue down the path I was on at the time when I was seeing these orange orbs, I would have had more experiences with them, uh, perhaps even something else, because this whole time uh, I was making this type of contact, it certainly seemed to be a progressive situation. The more I engaged, the more they revealed whoever they are. And I think it is the fact that I do not know what they are that has made me second-guess the risk factor involved in this type of contact modality. Uh, I'm still happy to engage in these types of contact attempts, but I'm no longer going out on a nightly basis to do so. Um, and uh, and this has undoubtedly contributed to the uh, to the lack of orange orb sightings after these four initial experiences. However, these experiences were enough for me. Um, at least they're enough for me to be perfectly convinced that there is a phenomenon at play here uh, that cannot be attributed to misidentifications, but is in fact representative of an intelligence that uh, we are yet to understand. All I know for sure, as absolute fact, is that this intelligence can and will respond to a signal through human consciousness. Why does it do this? I have no idea. But the truth of the matter is that it does. And you can be as skeptical as you want. Uh, I think you would be the sensible one if you were skeptical. I'm not asking you to suspend your disbelief. I'm simply telling you what I know to be the truth based off of highly personal, subjective, anecdotal experiences that changed the entire course of my life. All I can do is tell you as sincerely as possible what these experiences were and how they were brought about. And that is what I am doing. I, I can't help you achieve contact yourself because the modalities through which a contact uh, through this type of consciousness medium would occur appear to be tailored to each individual in different ways and so my method might not be your method and your method might not be the method used by another but the keystone the baseline the foundation is the knowledge within yourself that your conscious energy your awareness can reach out beyond your body it can resonate through space and time like a coherent reverberation through the universal ocean this is achievable it is an innate ability within all of us but we have simply neglected to use it due to the cultural directions we've taken we've trained ourselves out of engaging with our own consciousness in ways that would expand its area of influence so the um the reason i feel it's important to highlight my own experiences for this talk is because the ufo issue doesn't simply represent a nuts and bolts phenomenon by that i mean that we're not simply dealing with highly advanced propulsion systems or material engineering we're not simply dealing with uh, spaceships that are being piloted by an alien race from another star system this very well could be a part of the issue but what is so profound to me about my own experiences and what I later discovered to be a form of experience that is shared by hundreds if not thousands of active participants around the world with various methods of approach is that my experiences were made possible through the directing of my conscious mind towards the intention of having an experience. And since this method yielded extremely successful results, 
this automatically, uh, for me, places the UFO phenomenon into a category that the uh, former director of the Pentagon's UFO program, Luis Elizondo, once referred to when he said that he believes that the truth behind the UFO phenomenon lies within the nexus between consciousness and quantum mechanics. And so you see the UFO issue, due to its clear connections to the mysteries of consciousness and most notably expanded states of consciousness, whilst simultaneously being representative of an exquisite technological capability for traversing the cosmos, is in my mind a perfect representation of what a symbiosis between spirit and science could look like. It would eventually take the form of technological platforms that can traverse what we would consider to be the astral realms. The UFO seems to not only be as has been described by government insiders, a transmedium vehicle capable of operating in uh, the oceans, the atmosphere, and in the vacuum of space, but it would also appear to be a platform that can traverse space-time itself. It can traverse dimensions, and it would seem that this also includes, in a way that is currently inexplicable and incomprehensible, the ability to traverse through or in some way connect with the energetic nature of consciousness itself. Don't ask me to tell you why uh, this is occurring, because I can't. All I can tell you is that it is occurring, and I know this because I have seen satisfactory evidence through personal experiences, and if you've never had such an experience, then you'll have to simply decide for yourself whether I'm completely insane, uh, trying to fool or, or disinform you, or that I'm being completely honest with you uh, when I say that I have successfully initiated a contact scenario on multiple occasions with some form of non-human intelligence, um, with what seems to be relative ease through the use of my mind, through the focusing of my thoughts, the focusing of my emotions, my intentions, putting all of my energy into a desire for a single outcome, contact with another intelligence. And it worked. That's all I can say. It worked. And so because of this, I believe human consciousness is not restricted to the body, but has the ability to propagate out from you as a resonance or a wave, some sort of a field phenomena that can expand beyond your localized field of influence, there is absolutely going to be a physics that accurately describes this, but we appear to be at the very beginnings of trying to wrap our minds around this mystery through modern science. Uh, funnily enough, it is the same space of research that for many years was occupied by the uh, psychedelic-taking, trance-inducing, shamanistic cultures of our past, and, and now this archaic, mystic history is coming back in full force, but it's emerging through the cultural lens we've adopted, which is the lens of science. And so I imagine it would be some sort of quantum coherence and underlying energetic connection between all things in the universe, and, and that human beings act as a sort of biological quantum computer, a type of organic waveguide through which uh, the energetic force of consciousness can be focused in different modalities, like a laser, and that through our complex neurological makeup, 
and our ability to enter into expanded states of consciousness, we can enable our bioquantum computer, the human body, to connect with other beings, to interface with other systems in the universal network. And it would seem that if you can get yourself into a state of mind where your particular system appears as an active node on the universal network, even if only for a moment, at that moment, you become observable to greater intelligences than ourselves who are proficient uh, at traversing this network and utilizing it efficiently. And I believe this is what happened with me. For a fleeting moment, I was energetically attuned enough to flag up on the universal network, and for whatever reason, something decided to come and visit me. Perhaps simply just out of curiosity. And so to conclude this, I think we should view things through the lens of variables in outcome for the species. If we had embraced nothing but the shamanic, uh, psychedelic approach up until this point, we would likely still be integrated with the natural world in a similar way to what is observed by uh, the indigenous tribal cultures of the Amazon and uh, other such cultures. If this is the path we chose and never deviated from, uh, we would not be the technologically integrated, atmosphere-traversing species that we are today. We've now transitioned into a new period, the, the technological era, and a symptom of this transition is the deterioration of spirit, our connection to nature, our responsibility as planetary caretakers. What I think we're seeing now is the emergence of a potential road that we might take, and it is the road towards the techno-shamanic or the techno-spiritual through the, through the integration of uh, psychoactive studies and the emergence of novel models for consciousness in co-relationship with the quantum uh, technological breakthroughs that are fast approaching through the uh, arena of uh, quantum computation and modern physics as it relates to energy systems and uh, propulsion methods and hovering above us as if a perfect embodiment of this very symbiosis between the scientific and the, uh, and the transcendental, is the UFO, as if a shadow of our future metamorphosis is being echoed back towards us, and this hyperspatial leakage is occurring in increasing levels of intensity as we get closer to this period of transition. What if the UFO, or at least some aspect of what I imagine to be a spectrum of phenomena, is actually our future selves? from beyond the horizon of this transhuman convergence, uh, coming back through the temporal medium in order to observe this shift that we take, perhaps even to assist in the development of this shift, which of course opens up all manner of discussions in relation to time travel and uh, the nature of paradoxes. Um, however, I think this aspect of the conversation still occupies space within the realms of possibility, and so this is why I consider the emergence uh, and convergence of my three global disruptors during this period in the human story as possible checkpoints in the road to becoming an advanced uh, spaceflight-capable species that defies all expectations we currently place upon our current situation. 
Perhaps we're just too close to the picture to see our current situation for what it truly is. Maybe we're just too immersed in the trenches of the human experience for us to uh, zoom out and adequately grasp the evolutionarily guided mosaic that we're creating. But I think the primary point I'm trying to drive here by discussing these three global disruptors is that we appear to be on the precipice of a monumental change to our species, and in my opinion, this monumental change is going to involve a transition into a form of uh, spiritual science, a symbiosis is on the horizon, not between monotheistic traditions and scientific models, not between any myth and theory. This will be a more raw convergence, and it will likely involve scientific revelations within the realms of physics and psychology and pharmacology that force our scientific institutions to incorporate expanded realms of consciousness into the equation. A spirit science is not a religious science. It's a science that examines the physicality of the situation through a vantage point that understands that the physicality of the situation is a mere expression of a more fundamental energy, and this fundamental energy is at the root of all things. Some of you might roll your eyes at me for uh, borrowing from Star Wars, but the concept of the Force would appear to be one of the uh, best examples of what I'm talking about here. It's a science, it's understood as an energy, and it's respected as such through the scientific medium, but it's also simultaneously understood to be the life force that binds all things, and uh, within this force lies the ability to manipulate time and space, to speak to the dead, to move things with your mind, um, because mind is over matter. That is why we say mind over matter when we're dealing with a difficult situation, and so ultimately that is what we're going to discover over this next decade or so, that mind truly is over matter in all ways. It's the overarching governor of the material realm, and I think that when society understands this and incorporates this understanding into their systems of influence, into their innovations, their progressive journey, this is how you become a civilization with uh, an ability such as what is being displayed by these UFOs. The UFO, uh, to me, truly is the embodiment of a marriage between physics and metaphysics, between science and uh, spirituality, and I truly believe that the emergence and convergence of things such as artificial intelligence, quantum computing, psychoactive research, uh, novel energy generation systems, and also the dissolution of uh, corrupt political systems and changes on a social level, like I said, there are many different pillars of uh, acceleration that are taking place, but I wanted to focus on three that I find very important. I think that all of these different accelerants for change and, uh, and, and there are many of them. I do think that the ones that I've mentioned have the most action potential. These various disruptions to our current mode of thinking may push us away from the road of thermonuclear war and, uh, and closer to the path of a species with expanded conscious awareness and exquisite technological capabilities. And if we can pull the rudder hard enough we might be able to move ourselves closer towards that reality.